Numbers 16, 41 through 50. And this is uh, right after Korah's rebellion. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to open our understanding so that we can understand uh, how this applies to our lives in this day, as it applied in their lives in that day. And we thank you, Father, for the power of your word and the very practical usefulness of it in our world. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, today's message will be a little different. I'll deviate a little bit from maybe the main purpose of the text because uh, it does get a little um, repetitive with every act of disobedience being rebuked by the Lord. And I could easily give a message similar to those that I've given in the past. But I wanted to focus on one thing in particular that is in this text of number 16. I'm going to read verse 3 from chapter 16. And this is when Korah and the, uh, uh, the leaders of Reuben came in. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So they accuse Moses of essentially taking more authority and power than he has been granted by God. And that, of course, is coming from the, that power which the people would otherwise have. And then I want to read verse 28. By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. And then he goes on to speak of them dying naturally, but the earth opens up and swallows them all. So God vindicates Moses as saying, this is not of my will. This is what God has ordained. Then I'll take you to our first verse today. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. So now these people are rising up and accusing Moses of having killed these people in the rebellion the day before. So now, to us as believers, we reflect back on this and we think, how on earth can these people be so dense? How can they attribute to Moses what God is obviously doing miraculously? God set Moses apart. He was, in the words of Scripture, the most humble man on all the earth. 
So God set him apart. He made him the leader of this people. Very unwillingly, we remember. Moses did not want to perform this role, but God made him. God then set Aaron and his sons apart to be the priests. He set the Levites, Levites apart to be the helpers of the priests. And then he set all the Jews apart from all the other nations of the earth, the Egyptians as well as all the people that they're about to dispossess from the land. God is making distinctions between all of these people and the various roles that he's assigned them. And yet, people resented it. Aaron and Miriam resented it. The Reubenites resented it. Various of the Levites resented it. They all resented God's plan, God's design. I would go so far as to even say Moses resented it at times because he goes to God to complain to him at times. Why have you made me do this? Why have you put me in this position? So see, everybody's unhappy with everything. This is our life. This is our world. Everybody's unhappy with everything, it seems, at times. Everybody was jealous of one another's role, and they wanted that role. God didn't give it to them. It didn't prevent them, however, from stewing in their bitterness and in their pride in wanting what other people had. So see, that's what I wanted to focus on for this message, is the fact that this is a thread throughout all of our world, throughout all time. This root of envy that results in bad things, lots of bad things, over and over and over again. But we know that God designed the world to operate in a certain way. And when we go against God's design, the world does not work out as well as we would have it to work out. So it's God himself that has instituted various hierarchies in this world that he expects us to submit to. And to the degree that we do not submit to them, we are beating our heads against a rock that God will never move because that's his design. He has created the world in this way for our benefit. So. Let me name some popular liberal causes that we can all nod our heads to and say, yes, yes, yes. This is a bunch of people that are opposing God's design. Women's liberation. What was that all about? It was about freeing women from the oppression of men. Now, it could have been, they could have easily cited lots of examples of failures of men. And so that is where justification typically comes from. This isn't working out entirely perfectly, so we're going to just turn it all over, turn it all upside down. And so uh, this then leads us to a much, much worse world than we'd had with the flaws of sin as it affected us. The sexual revolution of the 60s. We wanted sex to be decoupled from marriage, and it was, significantly so. Then it was all about wanting to allow people the freedom to not only have sex with anybody of the opposite sex outside of marriage, to have sex with anybody outside of marriage. And now it's come full circle. Now those that want to have sex with uh, same-sex partners want marriage back. 
It is so bizarre because that was thrown out 60, 70 years ago by many. After World War II, that, the, the seeds of the 60s were sown in the, in the 40s with people getting out of World War II. And there was a loosened, way loosened morality that finally took root, significant root in the 60s. But so you see, all these liberal agendas are going against God's rule, going against God's design. And now it is even to the part where I am enslaved by my gender. I'm a man, but really, I should be a woman. And so therefore, we regard this as a form of slavery that I should have the right to free myself from. And frankly, my health care should allow you to help socialize the cost of the operations necessary for me to accomplish that end. So see, it's just such a weird topsy-turvy world we live in, right? These are all things that we can nod our heads to and, and shout amen about. But let me give you a few other examples that the church, and we might also uh, nod and shout amen to these, but yet the Christian church is widely, widely deceived by these. First, poverty and homelessness. I was downtown uh, yesterday at work, and I went past where they're always feeding the homeless. They put on a, uh, there's a church that puts on a fairly big banquet for the homeless on Saturdays at noon downtown in the park. And yet, this is such a far cry from what the Bible would have us to do. And yet there are so many, liberal, liberal thinking has permeated the church to the point where we do not obey Scripture. If a man should not work, neither shall he eat. And yet we just deny that. We say God doesn't know what he's talking about when he wrote that. We know better. Poverty is a scourge upon this earth and we're going to end it. But it was Christ that said, the poor you will always have with you. How could he say that? How could he say that? We live in such a wealthy world now. Obviously, he didn't know. Jesus didn't know that we would become such a wealthy, wealth-producing people. So see, now we produce so much wealth that we can easily conquer poverty. We can drag all those people out of it. And we've been trying to do that for 50 years. And it just gets worse and worse and worse as we throw money at it. And then you have the economic envy, which is really fueling this. And so see, God knew exactly what he was doing when he gave us the 10th commandment. Do not covet. All of what I'm talking about, all of what this whole message has been about, each of the rebellions that I've mentioned in this In the Wilderness series is really largely about coveting, wanting what other people have. Whether it is property, or whether it is authority. We just are prone to be unhappy with our lot in this world, and we want it changed. But yet, thankfully, God's design holds true regardless of whether we fight against it or we succumb to it or we submit to it. God's world is intended to work a certain way, and we, when we work with that intended design are blessed bountifully. And yet, when we work against it, we are punished consistently. So when we come to the table, we thank God that he has a design that will prevail. Gay marriage does not scare me. Gay marriage is funny in many ways. It is such a bizarre manifestation of the world we live in. I don't like it, and I oppose it, and I'm always talking 
to coworkers about it, frankly, at risk of one day being called out by my employer for it because our company has definitely embraced it. But yet, it deserves to be talked about because it is an obvious way of bringing up what I just brought up. The fact that God has a design and that we go against it to our detriment, whether we're in the church, whether we're out of the church, God's will will prevail on the earth. And so when we come to the table, we rejoice in the fact that Christ has conquered all things, all enemies, and it's just taking time to work it out on this earth, and eventually all will embrace that victory. And so praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that uh, you have shown us so much through Moses' example and the covetousness of authority that existed amongst the various constituencies in those millions of people as they were in the wilderness. We thank you, Father, that your word accounts for this, that your plan conquers our hard hearts. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his blood and body and his sacrifice on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that we would submit, that we would not be found to be shaking our fist against your word and against your plan. But Lord, grant us hearts that are soft to reaching out to people and showing them the right way, showing them that your word can be relied upon and is the standard for life. We thank you now and ask you to bless this to our bodies. In Christ's name and for his sake and the sake of his kingdom on this earth, we pray.